everyone. Welcome back to the Midweek Podcast, where we take the sermon on Sunday and we break it down further so that we can be more equipped to love the Lord and look more like him. I'm here with Pastor John Ludovina. Hey, Jake. How are we doing? We're doing great. You, you, sound, <laughs> you sound natural, at ease, comfortable. So to recap our sermon, 1 Timothy 5, we talked about how we help and love people in our church family. This is something within our church family that I love a lot. The fact that when we say church is a family, we really mean that and we carry that out. And it looks different based off of different scenarios and different cases. And what we have in 1 Timothy 5 is a specific case. Here's how we love and serve the church family. And so with this podcast, we basically ask what didn't make the final cut of the sermon. So, John, I'm just going to hand it over to you. What didn't make the final cut? Well, kind of like you were just saying, I one thing that I probably just should have put in somewhere is I love this aspect of our church family. It uh, is one of the things that I'm probably the most proud of and the most encouraged by is just over the years. It's something we have to keep fighting for. Uh, you can establish this culture, but because of a lot of the stuff we talked about in the sermon today, uh, helping people gets wearisome. It can wear you out when you put a lot of energy in and it doesn't go how you want it to go. And they don't get better and they don't end up loving Jesus and they don't end up healthy. And you, uh, your sin stuff gets exposed, your impatience, your, uh, lack of endurance, your lack of wisdom in knowing how to really help someone. So the trend is people get really excited about care issues, about really helping people. And then over time, it kind of can, it can become a smaller and smaller little aspect. And that's at an individual level. And I would say at a church wide level. Um, but I, I think, Overall, our church family, throughout our our church plant history, we have fought to stay engaged, to love on the vulnerable in our city, and I love the ways we do that. I love Serve the City Weekend. I love our Serve the City partnerships. Uh, Our Epworth partnership through student groups is something I've had a real upfront picture of, and it's hard work, but it's good work, and it's it's beautiful, and um, so I love that. That's one thing that I didn't mention. And to that point, even thinking about our church family right now, and we can't gather on Sundays, but we're doing life groups and life groups, all things considered are doing really well. And when a crisis hit and the bottom falls out, that's when it really reveals the things that we've been trying to instill, the culture we've been trying to hold up. Is it really a solid foundation or not? And so I'm thankful for in the midst of, we can't be together like we normally want to life groups are still actively pursuing one another And even that slide that you showed, almost $44,000 raised, that is a testament to, no, we are fighting to be together no matter how hard it is right now. It's just a really beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, you know, at a really practical level, when it comes to the question of when are we all going to get back together on Sundays, first off, I'll just say, I know a lot of people are eager, chomping at the bit, miss it so much. And I'm with them. I'm very extroverted. Uh, I, I miss hugs and, you know, seeing people's faces on Sundays. And at an at another level, we have a certain freedom as a church that we can operate through life groups and in life groups and uh, in a way that's, that a lot of other churches can't. So a lot of churches are financially dependent on Sunday gathering. They are culture dependent on Sunday. And, and we are in some ways just at a much smaller extent. Like, I don't think we can do this forever necessarily. Uh, but because we are such a family, because we have built the structure of our church through groups, 
even at real practical levels, it, uh, it allows us to take our time and not have to be in a rush uh, when it comes to something like COVID and when do we start meeting together again. Something you told me when I first got here about three and a half years ago, telling me about the structure of life groups and how life groups act as a front door to our church. The way you put it was, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like we're just a big network of tiny house churches throughout the city that just so happen to gather on Sundays. Yeah, and we're seeing that. Yeah, and hopefully like a really well-organized and well-led network of house churches, because sometimes that when you do go all in on the house church movement thing, uh, you don't have any strong leadership that can kind of steer right. the ship. And then you get a crazy house church that's falling off the rails. And so we want the benefits of the house church and the benefits of a larger church and uh, kind of hoping that Jesus does all kinds of good work and the spirit moves in the, the in-between, the both-and model. Absolutely. What else didn't make the sermon? Yeah, well, another thing kind of right on what you were just talking about that uh, was in there, we just didn't have time. We really shortened the church as a family chunk a lot just because we've taught that so much throughout the years. But um, there's a great New York Times article written by Frank Bruni uh, that's called We're Not Wired to Be This Alone. And if you haven't seen it, I'd, I'd recommend you go check it out. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes for anyone interested. Awesome. Um, now, Frank is... Uh, not a believer from what I understand. And he, he does a good job kind of explaining in this article that he went into the COVID lockdown thinking this is going to revolutionize the world. We're all going to realize we don't need to do anything in person. This is going to be great. He was like excited about it. He's like, we're just going to do everything virtual and we all can just live at our houses and do whatever we want. And that's going to be awesome. And very quickly he realized I was wrong. My whole impression of this, there's, I'm missing humans. I um, There's another article I was reading that I can't remember the title of it right now, but uh, they talked about how the church is an embodied people. And, you know, the church just supposed to be one picture of how all human life was designed to live. God made us to be embodied people with embodied community. And Zoom calls are great. They are not the same. They are not the fullness. Heaven will not be through virtual conference calls. Uh, and so there's an aspect of this whole thing where... Uh, I think even non-believers or people far from Jesus' kingdom are realizing this isn't how life was made to be lived. And people had more, even shallow levels of community than they realized. And you take those away from them and people are freaking out a little bit on, oh gosh, this, I'm, this is not good for me. I think it was even that Frank Bruni article where he cites how even Facebook executives from around the globe prefer not to do things digitally when they have meetings together. And this was before COVID, but they would shell out lots of money for people on the other side of the globe to fly to their headquarters so that they can have face-to-face -face interaction. And he makes the point of, see, even Facebook, who is the big brother of the digital connection yeah. services, knows that it is not good to be digitized. We need face-to-face -face human interaction together. Another thing that didn't make the cut, there's a couple of them that I mentioned. In verse 1 and 2, he does have two qualifiers in those verses when he says, don't rebuke an older man strongly, but as you would approach a father. And so this was in you know a very early version of the sermon, just got cut for time. But um, it's something that we have grown into as we started so young as, as a staff, as pastors, as a church body. We still are very young in many ways, but we are growing older. We are connecting with more and more people in different stages of their lives, different uh, generations, different decades of how long they've been alive. And so, uh, you know, one thing that we talk about is 
probably my most comfortable mode is when I'm hanging out with college kids and I see a good friend of mine who's in college and I might walk up to him, dap him up. Hey, bro, how you living? But that is not how I approach a, a man in his, you know, 50s who has run businesses and is connecting to our church family. And I think that uh, you could wrongly think that's not authentic or that's fake. And it's like, no, that's just you understand cultural differences and how to approach, how to honor those who are older. Uh, th this is stuff that I I'm actually excited about us teaching in the future, how different generations within the church can interact with each other, honor each other, love each other, humble themselves to learn from each other. Uh, but there's one specific aspect of that when it comes to older men and older women in our church. We want to honor them and we want to speak to them in a way that there can be a hard piece of that as well, where age and maturity are not a direct correlation. So just because you've been on this planet longer doesn't mean that you're very wise, that you're very mature. Uh, and still, there is an inherent dignity in age that we do want to honor, even if it's someone that we're really praying for them to grow in maturity and to for Jesus to get a hold of their hearts. Uh, and sometimes that's a really winsome tool. Even the way that Paul just talks about, I became all things to all men that some might be one. I think that's something for our church to keep prayerfully growing in how we connect with, with people in older generations. Yeah. I love that. This is an answered prayer that we were seeing even right before COVID hit, but probably for the last year or two, seeing more older people in our church family that we've been praying for, for a long time. And and thank you, Jesus. And those people are still plugging in with us and uh, connected to life groups. And I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. That's great. And we are better for it. I know that's something that we've said a lot is we are less without you. Our church is looks more and more like the whole body of Christ when people from different seasons of life are hopping in. Yeah, that was another weird thing with COVID early on when older people were so vulnerable. And there's an article that said churches were one of the most dangerous places because it's one of the only places on earth where older people and younger people and middle-aged people are all together. And you've got lots of older people connecting with lots of kids that they're not related to. And so it was like, it was a problem with COVID, but it's actually a really beautiful generational picture of how God wires the family, uh, the church family to exist in that extended level. Yeah. The other qualifier that he gives is in verse two, when he says, treat the younger women as sisters with all purity. And I did mention just really quickly this, uh, this idea of the beauty of if all young women on the face of the planet were treated as sisters with purity, you know, it would be the death of rape culture and things like that. Uh, but even just for me, you know, something that got cut is that verse was one of the verses very early on for me when I just started to walk with the Lord as a teenager. And a little bit of my backstory, I, I was addicted to pornography by the time I was in middle school. And that idea of seeing younger women as sisters, and I have two sisters, so treating them, thinking about them, honoring them the way that I would honor my sisters, was a re it was one of the verses that Jesus really helped to start setting me free from all kinds of lies and enslavement that I had that... Uh, in that pornography world where all women are just objects for my pleasure. And it's like, no, they're sisters to be loved and cherished and walked alongside of. It was, it was a really uh, liberating text for me. Yeah. I love that where the church is this picture of this is what families and relationships redeemed by the blood of Jesus ought to look like where even people who come from family backgrounds and they have, uh, bad sibling relationships, no sibling relationships, bad parent relationships, but the church is, and this is something I see in our church where those relationships get redeemed and 
people who lived life and they, they were an only child. Now they have brothers and sisters to connect with. And it is this beautiful picture, almost like the earthly family is an analogy of what the real family is supposed to be. The real family is the family of God. And I've seen churches use the family analogy before, but kind of sell it short. I remember driving past one church and there was a sign where when you're here, it's like family. And I wanted to be really particular and say, no, actually the church is the family. It is the truest sense, a capital F family. This is who we are supposed to be. If it was perfect, if it was as it was designed, then at every home, the parents would say to their kids, when you're here, it's like church. Like yeah. that would be the, you know, and that's such a far cry for so many people. And we live in yeah. a broken world as much as we fight for it. You know, it's not that, but that's the design, you know, the church would be the picture for how all family relationships operate. Yeah. That's beautiful. Anything else that didn't make the final cut? Uh, yeah, just one other thing. Um, I think it was actually you recommended to add this, and I did, and then teaching team hated it, so they cut womp, it. Womp. Sorry, Jake. Um, <laughs> but this idea of, so in Galatians 6.10, Paul says, do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And That does sound good. <laughs> yeah, wow. that it almost sounds inspired. <laughs> um, so there's this question of, what does it look like to help those within the church family? And what does it look like to extend help to those beyond the church family? And I think there is a slight priority and preference given in scripture, like Galatians 6, 10, that we take care of the family first and foremost, because if we don't do that well, then the visible witness of the church, it becomes less beautiful. It's, it lacks. Uh, but certainly we also are very interested in loving those outside of the church walls who do not have a relationship with Jesus for a number of reasons. One, in our culture where there is a, oftentimes a common shared sense of we should help those who need help, uh, you, there's some credibility earned there when people see Christians. I, I remember one of my favorite stories was early on in, in Midtown's history, we were at a homeless block party event, I believe, and uh, a lady who was in charge of the Food Not Bombs organization, which is kind of this pretty hyper-liberal, not very pro-Jesus group, and she specifically wasn't. Uh, she walked up to one of her pastors and said, I don't know about all your Jesus religious stuff, but I like what you're doing out here. Mm. And so it's like, man, I, I don't have no idea what happened in the rest of her life or her journey, but that could be a, a, a seed planted that starts to break down some walls for someone seeing the beauty of Christ and their need for, for him and his uh, death and resurrection, his life in their place. So uh, that's one level. At another level, for the person who's in need, uh, meeting their practical needs oftentimes opens a door for them to hear about their deeper spiritual need, you know? And so there's, it is both and, it's not either or. Um, right with that slight preference and even the, uh, the primacy being that in the church family, your needs are met because you, you are family and we are committed for all eternity already. And this is a big reason in part why we want to strive for the health of life groups and the health of our members, making sure relationally they are doing well. This is why we want to be quick to, if there is division, if there is sin among the church family, we want to deal with that really quick. We just want to root that out immediately because that shows off our witness to our city, to the world, to those who aren't Christians. So we want to do everything we can to prioritize church family from when it comes to provisions being met, from sin being dealt with, from divisions to be reconciled so that 
the witness of our church, people can point to that and say, that is what Jesus looks like. City on a hill, salt, light of the world. Uh, It is counter mission and shameful when the church is broken and busted and full of bitterness and raggedy people who aren't getting any help from their brothers and sisters. And there is no family aspect. It's, uh, it's a huge part of why we wanted to plant a church and see it. We fight for it. We pray for it. We're desperate to see the church be as healthy as possible, that as many as possible could come to know Jesus' name. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that point, Galatians 6.10. That's a good word, John. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Last you cut it. thing, and this was a today cut. I cut it today. It, I just was trying to whittle down everything I could. But if you want to study more about how to help people well, and that third point of not all help is actually very helpful, uh, When Helping Hurts by Brian Fickert and Steve Corbett. Uh, I couldn't recommend that book enough. There are some other really good ones. I think there's one called Toxic Charity. There's some really great books out there, but When Helping Hurts has been really helpful for our church family. And if if you're in any kind of a helping profession, uh, if you're working with one of our Serve the City partnerships, I just strongly recommend you check it out. One of the one of their kind of base ideas is that there are four relationships that got broken in the curse. Uh, you have a relationship with God relationship with yourself, your own understanding of your identity, relationship with the creation. So think uh, substance abuse issues, uh, idolatry of stuff. Uh, And then fourthly, you've got relationship with other people. And if any of those relationships are off, it can absolutely train wreck somebody's life. So as Christians who are wanting to see the kingdom come and Jesus's shalom restored in the world, uh, we care about all four of those relationships with a primacy on relationship with God. And sometimes you can get this fundamentalist, no, we only care about relationship with God and forget all the others. And it's like, that's not a holistic understanding of the wholeness of what Jesus wants to redeem in the world. Uh, it's, it's primary, but all of them. And, and then you look at Jesus' life and you see that modeled. His teaching, his preaching, proclaiming the coming of the kingdom leads out and his healing ministry and all his other help ministries are in support of that and pointing towards, I mean, they're all, you know, fast forwarding, uh, foreshadowing. This is what we teach in Kidtown every week, how all of the the scriptures and all of Jesus' life is pointing ahead to the cross. Yeah. And that book is going to be in the show notes. We encourage you to check it out. Buy it. Read it. That's great. Give it to a friend. John, how did studying this passage impact you personally? Uh, I think some of this came out in the sermon, um, but I'm on a long journey of, I am wired to see people hurting and want to say, yes, I will help. And I don't always think through the questions well of who should be doing this help. A lot of times it's just me. I will do it. I'm the one here. That means Holy Spirit's prompting me to help right now. And, uh, you know, the other pastors and mentors in my life, good friends, you know, they'll laugh at just like, I am wired. Uh, Uh, by Jesus, I think I've been redeemed in a way that I just want to invite everyone in. My first response to almost any problem is come have a meal at my house and let's sit down and talk for seven hours and we'll get to the bottom of this thing and we will help you. And, and then my wife oftentimes reminds me like, Hey honey, we have five kids and we can't always do that. And so I've kind of been on this long path of learning, okay, what does helping people look like in this stage of life? And this is just teaching. This is just a really good reminder of a lot of those things and continuing to push that down into my soul that if I don't say yes to every helping opportunity, uh, that doesn't mean my identity is less. I, 
I am not earning an identity from God by helping those who are hurting. Uh, I do have a heart for that and I'm passionate about it. Uh, but so at any, if, if anyone felt like I was being harsh, if you're in that camp, I'm, I, it's really coming from a place of my own growth and I want to see you last. I want to see you walking with Jesus for a long, long time. And I would say too, with life group leaders who feel this pressure of it has to be me to always help, always has to be me. A beautiful uh, picture of this is why we do core group. Going back to a couple of weeks ago when Alan was sharing our leadership pipeline, we raise up core group people to know that we don't do this on our own, but we actually get to train up other people to help us out with this. This was a conversation you and I had a few weeks ago where I was like, I want to do this. I want to say yes. I feel like I need to be the guy to step in. And you were just reminding me and even pulling from some of your own life of, no, I can't be on you. You got to bring other people in with this. And that's where we have core group in our life group where you can kick out in a group me or to a Marco Polo with those people to say, hey, what do y'all think about this care issue? This is what I'm feeling. What do you think? All right. Who wants to step in? Who wants to help out? Just a beautiful picture of church being family doesn't mean you have to be the big brother or big sister to everyone. That's right but you can raise up other big brothers and big sisters to help out with the load. And it's so helpful at so many different levels when you don't know what to do. And then, you know, one, maybe the whole group says, neither do we. And okay, now at least you're not alone in your confusion. It's like, oh, this must be a really tough situation. Nobody knows what to do. Or they say, well, here's how it strikes me. And you get more discernment and more wisdom from the collective wisdom of different people speaking in on it. Even if what they said isn't exactly what you decide to do, sometimes it prompts a thought that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So there's that level of discernment and wisdom where it's helpful. But then there's also just the sheer energy and manpower. Uh, I mean, so this is pretty much baseline policy at this point. If a life group has somebody who's going through something really hard, you know, they're, they're doing, they're dealing with suicidal ideation. Um, we don't want one person trying to help them. That's going to go bad for both people. We want a team who can mm-hmm. be there when the person is in need, especially in those early, really dicey times when they might need help at any moment. It's like, well, I don't want just that burden and weight on one person. We want to share that weight. And now it's actually manageable. It's still heavy. It's still dark. It's still hard, but it's way more manageable. And so the uh, individuals are not the body of Christ. Mm. The group, the collective whole is the body of Christ. And that's, you know, just really helpful at all kinds of different levels. Yeah, that's great. John, thank you so much for preaching for us. We love you. Boom. Boom.